CanCon exceeded our wildest expectations and was an amazing start to Shatterpoint in the year of 2024. In this episode, Cameron and I will be interviewing the CanCon winner, Luke Thompson, who's going to explain how he prepped and practiced to take up the pole position in Australia's first ever official Star Wars Shatterpoint premiere event. Following that, Cameron and I are going to discuss what we think the impact of Darth Vader, the Emperor's Servant, and Jedi Knight Luke Skywalker will be on the Shatterpoint meta, and what roles they might fill on the battlefield and within our strike team building. Then, I'll also advertise some upcoming events in the Australian and international circuits that our audience can hopefully participate in. My name is Tom Harper. All of the music used in our content is, of course, composed by the transcendent Gabriel Fisher. Links to where you can check out and follow his projects are in the episode's show notes, along with timestamps for this episode's segments and all of the places you can check out and support our content. If you love what you hear, please consider joining our Patreon. A massive thank you goes to Kevin C, Sirem, Arfsafs, Winter AU, Soup, Alan Jones, Death1942, Bruno and Durulvar for being paid members. It means an incredible amount and we cannot wait to bring you more content. Now, join me as we continue our exciting journey into the domain of Star Wars Shatterpoint. You don't know the power of the G'day everyone, you are listening to the Space Slugs. Today, we are joined by a very special guest, the CanCon winner, Luke Thompson. Luke, of course, a massive congrats for winning the largest and the first ever real-life premiere event uh, of Shatterpoint here in Australia. Uh, And thank you so much for joining us here on the cast. No, my absolute pleasure. I've been a fan of you guys from the start, so excited to be on. It's a very long history to be a fan of from the start as well, so that that means a lot. Thank you. Uh, And, of course, we've got um, the top slug, uh, the big slug, the behind-the-scenes slug, Cam, joining us here as well. Thank you, Cam. No, oh, I'm happy to be here. It's contractual obligation. I don't know if I can be top slug much longer. Um, I think you did quite well, Tom, at CanCon, but I'm sure we'll get into that maybe. <laughs> yeah, brief, yeah. Brief moment. Absolutely. So look, you know, um, as we said in the introduction, this is basically celebrating all things CanCon, um, but specifically focusing on, I guess, uh, Luke, your journey to CanCon, if, if that works for you. Uh, and, you know, just, just walking us through sort of how you prepared, what you took, how your games went, and basically all things CanCon. So yeah, I guess if we wanted to start, Luke, what did your CanCon prep look like? I mean, uh, what, what, how, did you, how did you go about getting ready, repping, uh, preparing for this, this awesome event? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess, so in terms of prep, um, so the, I think I worked out about four months out that I was going to go. And um, so that meant there was sort of two pressures there. Um, one is, uh, you know, obviously picking the best list, but um, honestly, the maybe bigger one was making sure I actually had time to paint everything. <laughs> um, and what that really led me to in the first instance was I'd basically only painted Republic at that stage. So I knew that at least one of my squads was going to be Republic. Um, I also think that um, really Republic can't support a full premiere squad at the moment. Um, so I knew the other half would be something separatist related or, you know, Dathomirian or any of the other sort of bad guy side of things. 
Um, so where I originally started, my original concept was, um, okay, I have Anakin going and I haven't had much of a go with him. So let's start with Anakin and Arfs and Rex. And then I thought um, Padme might be an interesting combo over that to the Padme box. That was where I started. The other half that I was thinking was going to be um, Maul and Talzin. That was one that I'd played a little bit at a few local tournaments I really liked. Um, so that was the full Talzin box and then Maul and Super Commandos and Django. Um, so I quite liked that. The only thing that it tripped me up a little bit was it was a bit hard, hard work managing force, uh, particularly every time Mother activated, she wanted to do the uh, manipulating hand was sort of the thing that generally drained it. So that was that was where I started. Um, I had a few goes of that Anakin Padme list, and it it, it felt all right. I won a few games, lost a few, felt okay, but wasn't quite landing with my style. So the actual catalyst that basically formed all of my um, Kankon list was uh, the first round of the TTS Season 2. Um, where I played uh, Wargaming Gad, Dad, who, um, if any of you guys have played, is very, very good. Um, and he played what was one side of, eventually became one side of my uh, CanCon list, which was uh, Dooku plus Talzin, just Dooku box, Talzin box, um, into that um, Anakin list I mentioned. And he absolutely wrecked me. Um, it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't even close. And so I sort of, that both prompted me to think, okay, maybe this this Anakin Padme list isn't for me. And also, geez, this list seems interesting. I might give that a go. So I ran that through the rest of the um, the TTS league into the the not quite top bracket cut uh, with Tom, the, the one that Tom ultimately won. And um, yeah, that, that got me through a round of that until I ran into Tom and got wrecked by him. It's um, <laughs> the thing that I'm sure anyone who's played him is familiar with. But yeah, so that that was how or sort of solidified my, okay, this is going to be my main list, my sort of really what I appealed to me is it's a combination of, it's a pretty decent all comers list, Dooku Talzin, because it has a lot of out of activation movement, um, some very solid figures, some good diceless displacement. Almost everything has a very strong attack, or at least a, a good attack in terms of displacement and, and conditions. And then I thought, okay, well, that's if that's going to be my main squad, then I need to work out what I'm going to bring that sort of addresses the things that that squad's not great at. And so, what that squad, squad's not great at is it's not a hyper aggressive list, it doesn't wound things particularly well. And that means it's not great into things like OB Republic or Mace, OB Mace Republic, because if you're not consistently taking out supports in one hit, then that list tends to just, you know, stay on points and mm. heal and you just never get anywhere, um, which was my exact experience against Tom into his um, OB uh, Anakin list. And so that other strike team ended up being Mace. So Mace with the usual Arfs and um, Pons, and then... Uh, sort of the classic Obi-Wan squad, which is Obi, Rex, and Commandos. And I think that that plays really well into into both of those squads I was really worried about. Um, so in terms of a uh, mirror into Republic, I think that just the level of defense you have there makes it really hard for Republic, who don't have diceless displacement, to move you off points. Um, and if the mace bubbles up, even to do much damage. Um, so I, I think in terms of the, the mirror, that was quite a strong option. And then into your sort of your droid swarm. Um, yes, they have really good movement. The other thing they rely on is a lot of chip damage. And when everything has protection um, and steadfast, that chip damage often does nothing. Like even Magna Guard, those five dice attacks often just bounce off. Um, just because if you just end up with the one crit, they just they do literally nothing, um, mm. which is the thing that Magna Guards very rarely have the experience of doing. Once I sort of worked out that that was... That was what I was going with. I was I was very comfortable with that as a squad build because effectively that's sort of two rather than like I did I sort of described that Dooku Talzin boxes and all comers, but really what it is is the two sort of heavy skew lists. 
mm. is you've got your Dooku Talzin, which is very, very, very good into hyper-aggression because you just get those double revenge triggers. And often, like I've had a game once with them where I lost Savage to a not-so-fast and I still managed to flip a point just because I had two revenge triggers to do yeah, things. Very so cool. it, it, was, it was a better activation than if they'd let Savage activate. So stuff like that. It's just, it's if you're getting wounded, it's amazing. Mainly it's a skew of, I think there's going to be a lot of Vader. Here's what I'm going to serve up to that. And then if I'm seeing the things I'm scared of, I'll take the, the Obi mace list, which is solid in its own right. And look, and then from there in terms of prep, once I'd settled on that, it was really just bringing that that one of the one or both of yeah, one of those lists to any game night, any weekend tournament, um, and uh, and just getting getting as many reps in as I could. Um, and yeah, that was that's that's was my CanCon prep. Awesome. Okay, well, I mean, it definitely paid off because uh, you did win. So massive congratulations for that. Um, Cameron, did you want to add anything? Uh, no, I think the the thing that really I think is really exciting from a macro perspective on the game. Three of your squads are just out of the box which I think shows just how well so far AMG is really doing at the, the balance and the and I guess in a lot of ways the onboarding where you can just grab a box off the shelf. You don't really have to think about it too hard. Grab a box, you know it's going to work together and it's going to be competitive. You know, and I think that's really, really exciting from a, a player standpoint because it means that there's not going to you don't have to go online troll through the discords and the subreddits and the facebooks and try and find the special combo pieces you really can just grab boxes off the shelf take them to a tournament and do well the game is is a really healthy state where it's not a combo piece game it really is you know the, the things you pull off the shelf will work really well together and if you play them well you can take them to you know top table so i think that shows one your skill luke and being able to really find the power of these squad boxes as they are. And it says a lot about the game. So I just wanted to run away with that because that's I think that's quite exciting. Yeah, awesome. And so, um, look, Luke, that was a, a great breakdown in terms of how you prepared. Um, and I, I did want to touch on a few things before we go into what your pre-game analysis looked like actually at the con. Uh, and the main one that I wanted to touch on there is, you know, you did mention that GAR um, or Galactic Republic, you, you don't think that they can necessarily support a full premier strike team at this stage. I think I tend to agree with you, but I'd love to hear your thoughts and, you know, just why uh, you've arrived at that sentiment. Yeah, so look, there's there's two things, and I think the first one's smaller than the second one, but they're, they're both relevant. So the first one is up until Plo comes out in a couple of weeks, there's no diceless displacement, mm. which just makes them a bit scary into things like if, we're, if you're playing into lists with a lot of, you know, steadfast that you just you have to have either move lots of unit team up or successfully attack to move things on. That that's a little scary. You don't have as much swing opportunity as, as other um, other lists. Like um, you know, you don't have a mall that can just come and say, okay, the, this point with two people on it, that's mine. You have almost nothing you can do about it. But I think the bigger one is actually just that because of sort of I think a range of factors, but especially the um, how squishy the supports are, it, they're just not good into those sort of hyper aggressive, you know vader plus grievous and all of the you know and, and then whatever they, they put underneath it um because if you just you just look fall behind on the wound race and you you know by the end of the first struggle half your stuff's wounded and then that makes the second struggle harder and all of a sudden it's over um i think you, you can definitely win those matches but they're they're real uphill battles and there's just a lot of that around at the moment i think once plo comes out i think you possibly are drifting into maybe being able to play into that i think plo and that box bring well certainly plo and 
Padawan Ahsoka are both very good pieces and bring a different play style. Um, and I suspect having Wolfpack as another eight health support may well help as well, even though we haven't seen the full cards. Mm. Um, but yeah, right at the minute, I just I didn't think I didn't think there was four really compelling squads that do different things. I guess the the only comment there would be that um, Barris, of course, offers you some form of diceless displacement. Sure. But I actually I'm not sure if you agree with the sentiment, but here, but uh, Barris is quite fragile in my mind, um, and you know, in a in a heavy sort of melee orientated um i don't want to call it a meta because things shift all the time but in the situation that we are now where we have some really good heavy damage in melee characters such as vader and grievous and even more to an extent i do find that you know once she gets wounded she she loses a lot of that efficiency uh, but that's just personal taste um i'm a, a lot of people are playing barris beautifully and i just think that's worth mentioning so You've done all this prep work for CanCon. Uh, you're feeling pretty confident going in. We've got a really great group of Australian players that have made it to this, you know, first premiere event that we've ever run. Uh, and props to Michael, uh, who appeared on on the last episode, uh, which was really, really exciting. You sit down and you you sort of see your first matchup. What are you thinking about? You know, how much of that pregame analysis are you performing? What's your first steps as you get to the table? Yeah, fair. Look, I mean, I think really the, the, the two things you look at, right, are board and opponent the list is probably the most important thing uh because of all of the reasons i talked about why i selected my squads is i, I really don't want to be putting something up that i think is going to get hard counted or you know as hard counted as you can in this game i don't think uh anything that you put up is, is a real immediate losing proposition um at the moment but you know i want to be picking as strong matchups as i can and then there is an element of looking at the boards, particularly at the moment when the community is still sort of finding our feet in terms of what a good board and a bad board actually looks like, how many ingress points and all sorts of, you know, how many buildings, where they are, um, how hard everything is to get to or not. So in terms of the board, which is the easiest bit to speak about, the Dooku Talzin list is quite reliant on being able to get, if you pull Dooku or Talzin early, being able to use their abilities to send so forth Talzin, she can double dash Savage and Dooku bringing a Magna with him. Um, that's all very ground-based. So there's no climbs, there's no jumps in that movement. So how hard am I going to find to get particularly those two center right and left objectives? Because uh, they're obviously the ones that matter in Sabotage Showdown, which is generally what you're playing these days and what I brought. So there's there's a bit of that. But again, the, it was honestly 80%. And I think in the end, all of my decisions were what my opponent brought and what I did or didn't want to face with either squad. Okay, well, thank you for that. I think, you know, terrain is obviously a factor, but it sounds like a lot of your prep work was, of course, done in terms of countering or at least having an answer to a particular strike team. So let's say, I don't know, um, you sit up against, let's just say you have Mandalorians in one of your opponent's strike teams. So let's say it's uh, Maul and um, maybe Ahsoka uh, and both of the Mandalorian secondaries and both of the Mandalorian supports. Uh, and then you also have, let's say, Grievous and Vader on the other. What's the thing that's running through your head in terms of picking? Are you just going to say, all right, well, they've got those really high damage output primaries and therefore I'm going to pick not clones. I'm going to pick, you know, Dooku and Talzin. Or is there something further that you're looking at? Yeah, I think, I think that's exactly right. I think the sort of the broad th process is is there anything that my opponent has that my squad really, really doesn't want to see? And so, one of my squads. And so in that case, I hear Vader and Grievous and I think, okay, Republic absolutely do not want to see that. So it's probably going to be Dooku and Talzin. And then Mandos are an interesting one. Um, I think they're probably one of the, the most general middle of the road, a bit good at everything squads that you're going to get in the game at the moment. And so they're probably... 
Like they're a bit of a, I think either squad I'm not thrilled with playing into, but I'm not sad about either. Um, so in that case, the the, yeah, the easy decision is going to be the, the Talzin and uh, Talzin Dooku box. Yeah, well, that's probably a too easy a question <laughs> that I threw you at the at the very beginning. So I think maybe what the best thing to do now would be going through your actual your matches uh, and seeing how you sort of iterated those decisions on the board, or at least in that pregame. Cameron, did you have anything to add about? Um, about that? No, I think my my one question, I, I, I guess, and it sounds like you've sort of already answered it, but it's nice to get it explicit, is in your pre-tournament squad building, you essentially decided on, I've got my A team, which sounds like it was Dooku and Talzin, and then you were looking for a B team to sort of help mitigate some of those bad matchups. Have I got that right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And look, I will say it it very much started that way that I think I'll just play this Republic once to get it out of the way and not. Um, as I put more practice in, I did gain a bit more respect for where that OB Mace squad came you know, came strong. And I think I ended up a bit more of a, this is just a purely a matchup. I'm going to take one or the other. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I was just, because I think I'm very interested in, at the moment, figuring out how people are building these Premier uh, Strike teams just simply on the idea of uh, people going mix and match, which was the route that I ended up going, was mixing and matching four different um, squads. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of the people, a lot of the people that did well seem to have gone with the idea of here's my A team and here's my B team. As the game progresses, that might change, but for now it does seem to be favoring the the A team, B team. So, yeah, that's. I was just curious if that was your thought. Would you? Do you think you ever would have swapped primaries around and mis- mix and matched at all i don't I'm not, can't believe that would have ever really presented itself yeah no probably not in this combination um and i don't i not to dismiss the idea of particularly a shuffle um sort of you know i can match anyone with everyone uh, i think that sort of the main thing that stopped me from doing the main two things that stopped me from doing that is um i've got a two-year-old daughter i don't have a ton of time to put reps into four different iterations of squads yeah absolutely um <laughs> And also, um, uh, because one of the squads I'm leaning on, like I was definitely going to bring Republic, and I think Republic are ab- like there's a few exceptions, but generally speaking, best when it's all Republic. Um, and so those two things sort of push me to the to the A squad, B squad, or um, however you want to put it. Um, but um, but yes, no, I think as the game expands, that sort of shuffle to match your matchup is probably going to become a more common approach. Yeah, cool. That that was all. That was all I had. Let's get into your your matches. So, uh, day one, round one, you played against a, a great gentleman by the name of Jason. Uh, mm-hmm. He is from New South Wales here in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. So I think so. You actually gave me almost this exact scenario when you um, when you reeled off the list before. Yeah, um, I just realised that, uh, which is all good. So basically, I saw, but I saw the um, the Mando with um, yeah, so Ahsoka and Lumi with the Mandos, and then he had the Talzin box, and then Maul with ob2 and magna guards so again we're seeing this one was more about i see so ob2 is the other one that i really don't want to see as republic because he just makes a point a bit untouchable for them and that's obi-wan jedi out of hiding yes exactly right thank you thank you for the full name <laughs> between that and the fact that i wasn't particularly alarmed by anything he could pull out into the talzin and dooku side of things um that was that was what i went with so i went with talzin and dooku into that one uh, that was actually a pretty tight game. It was definitely two struggles to one. I feel like I might have even lost the first struggle on this one, but I can't remember exactly. 
So that was that was a tight game, but I, but I ended up getting that one. The one thing that I do, sorry, two things that I want to uh, maybe draw from there is the notion that Obi Two or Obi Jedi out of hiding does make it very difficult for the Republic unless you're bringing Anakin, I think, or some form of Dysus displacement from an external party. Anakin can at least double tap the target that he wants to, um, but you know characters like Mace or General Obi Wan Kenobi, I, I feel like really struggle into into Obi-Wan out of hiding. So I think that was a really good shout in avoiding that matchup um, because as you've said multiple times throughout the episode, at this stage, uh, Gar have no Dysus displacement. The other thing that I wanted to, I guess, ask you about was, were you concerned that you might not get a lot of value out of Dooku and Talzin's abilities here in terms of their identities? Because the Mandalorians, I feel like, don't have a huge amount of wounding, especially if they're not bringing uh, Lord Maul. Uh, and I note that um, this was a Luminara and a Sokotano led strike team. Yeah, look, I think probably the two things are, I think the list is strong enough to at least do well, even if my opponent isn't wounding things consistently. Mm. And also, I think Mandos are sort of like they're middle of the road in terms of wounding things, if that makes sense. Yep. Like they all have strong activations. They're all going to go a few times down their tree every time they attack, just about. Um, the Supers and Gar in particular do tend to wound things. Um, and Supers in particular are probably not influencing the game much if they're not wounding because yep. all of their shoves are well down the tree. Um, so I, I think in that case, I was not expecting to get you know eight wounds across my squad or anything crazy like that, but I was expecting enough to make my opponent's life hard when he's pulling out things that want to wound. Okay, well, you know, congratulations on, on round one. It did look like a very tight match. So you played, um, unfortunately, the, the mission isn't there, uh, but I'm assuming you played on Sabotage Showdown because the Mandalorians love that mission. So that was a 4-4 four, four wounds each and a two struggle victory to yourself with uh, Jason scoring one. So good start to the tournament. You always want to win your first round just to put a little skip in your step. What was round two? So that was into into Jeff Galea, who... Um, is one of the, the names I saw in the tournament that I wasn't that keen to run into early, but, um, <laughs> but that's all right, because I've seen him do well at the TTS leagues. Um, so he was running the, the Dooku box, uh, another squad that was Maul, OB2, Clan Krees, and then he had Vader, Barris, Arfs, and Lumi, Rex, and Super Commandos. Um, so that was an interesting one, because that's very much, I think that was maybe the only sort of obvious mix and match squad I saw in the day. Um, and so that was another one that was gave me pause a little bit, but ultimately, again, I'm seeing Obi two, I'm seeing Vader, so that's a that's a job for Talzin Dooku. That game went. I think that was my one game that I won in two struggles, um, which I think I, I got a, f- a bit lucky in a few spots. I think there's just one or two opportunities I had that Jeff didn't spot until it was too late. I think there was a a, a dash from. Um, Savage that got me, you know, which from one of his abilities that got me a, an unguarded back point that he, he didn't spot, and a few other things that just sort of uh, let me let me capture it. Even though I think both struggles were were tough, I just I managed to get both of them. Yeah, I think that's a really good example, and I'm not sure, Cameron, if you want to jump in there in terms of that rotation because it sounded like you know maybe if you weren't bringing a straight uh, Dooku Talzin roster that you knew could handle Obi and Vader, Obi to Jedi out of Harding and Vader, that might have given a lot of other players pause, I think, because that is uh, like, oh, what is he actually going to play, especially this early in the event, right? Mm. Yeah, I think that really, it's a good testament there, Luke, to your 
preparation and your understanding of your squad, its strengths, its weaknesses, which was something Morgan discussed in, in really good detail last week about identifying strengths and weaknesses um, in your own squad. Um, you knew, hey, this, this is not going to be a good matchup. I'm going to stick with what I know is going to match up well against those two uh, units specifically that are going to cause me trouble. And I think that's something that people should be taking away here is really, you know, we all want to think that we've, we're the smartest people in the game and we're, we're building the best strike teams every day. <laughs> but it is really important to identify what weaknesses your your full premier list has and, and how you can try and mitigate that. So I think that's, that's a really good uh, lesson for people to learn. And obviously that decision and, and that sort of preparation has, has set you up for success. So it's, it's a proven track record, which is really nice to see. Yeah, and so on to round three. The fatigue is probably starting to set in. <laughs> the the want for maybe a, a beer or a lunch with the sorry a dinner with the guys is, is starting to day. kick in. It's a long day. Um, how are you feeling going into um, your game against Thomas Kildare Wise? Yeah, so look, that was that was another one that gave me pause. I think definitely that pressure to pick the second squad was starting to mount a bit. So even before I got to the table, I'm like, okay, I probably should lean towards them if I'm not sure. So what Thomas had in his squad was he had the the, the mace box, so uh, Padme box, Dooku box, and um, Asajj Kraken B2s. So again, that was one where it's, it's a little less obvious, um, but again, when we're, I'm looking at the, the Dooku pl- box plus Asajj Kraken B2s, I think that one in particular has better out-of-activation movement than mine does. So that sort of pushed me a little bit away from my Dooku Talzin list. And then again, as I mentioned earlier, I quite like the Obi Mace into Republic. Um, So I thought, okay, this is probably the time to bring out uh, Obi Mace where I don't hate either of the matchups and one of them, I think it's the preferred one. Um, So Thomas ended up playing Mace and Padme into me, so um, which was um, fine. And that was another tough three struggle one. I think we actually played um, Shifting Priorities in that one too, if I remember correctly. So that also made that a little bit of a harder one for me. I don't, I'd prefer Sabotage Showdown with the Republic. Unluckily for him, lucky for me, he, um, he got his deployment a little off and didn't cap the back objective immediately. Um, and that sort of put him behind in the first struggle. And um, I, honestly, I think it was, it was a pretty even exchange with the exception that I sort of had that little bit ahead of him and, uh, and managed to, to get to just sort of maintain that position and, and one in three. Um, so that was another good one. So how did you feel at the end of day three? I mean, you've played all four of your squads, uh, both of your A and B strike teams. Are you feeling pretty good going into day two? Yeah, absolutely. Can't com- they couldn't couldn't complain. Um, yeah, it's all to get the three. Like honestly, the th- like I think I would have been disappointed if I didn't get three wins for the for the event. That was sort of my you know base. So I was happy to have, have gotten that and not so I could be be only to be so disappointed if I get wrecked the next day. Um, yeah. So um, that was good. Um, yes, and then a little sleepy and a little hungry was probably the other main. main feelings coming out of it absolutely and i mean one of the best things about going to a convention is uh obviously meeting people especially a game that's this young uh, as shatterpoint it was really interesting to sort of put a face to all the names that we're seeing online from the australian community and we all had a really good night out that night and uh yeah shared some stories and um built some camaraderie so that was really fun to see you cheekily though you didn't stay out for too too long and that might have been the recipe for your success what do you reckon (laughs) yeah look it did may have helped um i'm not sure i'd have lasted to be honest i was pretty tired but yes no i i'm, I'm glad i uh, you know stayed for a couple of years but not not many so um 
I'd, uh, yeah, you, you certainly looked a little rougher in the morning. So, <laughs> Yeah, I did ply Tom with as much beer as possible. I wanted him to have a good out. If he lost, I wanted him to have a really good excuse and look how well it's gone. Yeah, absolutely. Well, because um, round four was actually uh, myself uh, up against uh, you, Luke. So what, did, what were you thinking when you saw my strike teams? Well, I mean, look, I was honestly even more worried seeing um, seeing your name because um, you, you're the one that I'd played before that you just absolutely wrecked me and that's been our only game. Um, so I was, you were the one, the, the name I was eyeing off and being a little scared to, to match into to begin with. But um, aside from that, uh, I think this was another one that wasn't too hard a decision for me because um, mm. again, so your strike team, so you have the, the Obi-Wan and then Anakin is, is one of your strike teams, which again was that Republic mirror that I don't mind, particularly Obi's hunker shenanigans, great into Anakin. Oh, yeah. Um, about the only thing that can really turn off is his double tap or one of the few. And then um, your other one is uh, so Grievous Kraken B2s and um, Maul Kalani Magnus, which again is that double, uh, double tack droid uh, list where um, you know, you're doing lots of that chip damage, which often that um, my um, Republic list can shrug off. Uh, so I, that was another one that I was reasonably confident in picking. Um, and then the last thing of that was our last, our match where you wrecked me was my Talzin and um, Dooku list into your Obi and Annie one, which you had there. So that that made it, it, it that really tipped me over the top in terms of which squad to choose. Yeah, definitely. I, I do want to just add a few things there maybe. Uh, you know, we had a really good, um, the last time we played was in a the not quite top cut of the previous uh, TTS league, which was called, I believe, Never Tell Me The Odds. And you were playing, you know, your, your fantastically piloted uh, Dooku and mother Talzin list. Um, I do want to say maybe, and I'm not sure if you agree with the sentiment, but I actually think that um, General Obi-Wan Kenobi, and this is something that I want to touch on at the end, uh, I think General Obi-Wan Kenobi has a really good sort of time into Mother Talzin um, because very early on in his tree, he's putting out a disarm, he's putting out an expose, and if he gets deep enough, he's actually putting out a pin as well. Uh, And all of those conditions just really make Talzin's life difficult to use a lot of her kit. Um, Do you agree with that assessment? Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, there's there's lots of there's between that and um and yeah the the hunker being able to, you know, you take your hunker, you wound the person you want to wound, Talzin tries to push you off the point, and you just come straight back. So there's mm-hmm. there's lots of ways in which I hundred percent agree that Talzin does not want to see General Obi. Great, yeah, no, hundred percent. And I think we'll put a little pin in that, and we'll come back to that um, General Obi Wan Kenobi assessment at the end. Um, but yeah, how did how did you find our match? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. It was, it was. I mean, it was super tight. It was definitely my tightest game of the of the whole um, of the whole weekend. Um, it was, um, it was a really fun match. Actually, um, I have to compliment you. You're a very, very clean, clear player. Uh, you're an absolute pleasure to play against. Um, it's oh, thank um, you. You too. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Try but- sleeping in the same room as him. Oh, jeez, <laughs> it's horrible. Uh, yeah, I'll, um, I got no experience with that, so I won't comment. Yeah, so look, that one. Yeah, that was it. Was a very tough game. That was um, Tom. You won the first struggle, and I <laughs> that was won an the hour next and a half struggle one. Yeah, <laughs> it was a ridiculous struggle one, and it, it came down in the end because it was just so close. It was just finally I whiffed an attack with um with pawns that stopped me pushing one of uh, your B twos off a point and taking the struggle, and then you just because all of the uh, momentum had built up, you just immediately took it from there basically. So that that was a very tough fought. Um, first struggle and then I think the second struggle you almost took from me and then the third one was real up in the air until I got a lucky break and um and your b2 failed to get any results anywhere down his tree to push obi off a point and that let me let me take it 
take it. So um, yeah, that was a that was a ridiculously close game that really really could have gone either way. Um, that was yeah, it was a fantastic. It was one of the best Shadowpoint games I think I've ever played. So uh, thank you very much for that. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, it was just so much fun, real fun. Yeah, Tom great. will never forget it. No, I wouldn't shut really up about good. it on the whole drive home. Like, that is seriously. not true. <laughs> Far out, this guy. <laughs> so you know you, you're you're feeling pretty good at this stage. The only other undefeated person is uh, Phil or Reef, as he's known on the the socials and the the the, the Longshanks event. Um, so I, I feel like you could probably look at the Longshanks data here and make a a pretty confident assessment as to what Reith was going to play in that final round, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. So I think he played, so his, what was his squad? So he had um, the Talzin box, Dooku, Kraken, uh, Magna, which he played in his first round. And then every single round after that, he played Vader, Obi-2, Arfs, Maul, Django, Supers, which is, you know, between the secondaries he's picked and the fact that he's just, you know, got his other squad out of the way and then run run that one all the way through. Yeah, I think it was... That was the, the easiest pick. Um, even before I heard, I think he, we were talking uh, at the end of his round four game, and he was saying how happy he was he could just play this squad. So it was very, very. It was there was no no poker to be had, no poker face there. He was uh, he was very clearly this is the best squad, and I don't care what I play against, which is um, honestly a pretty reasonable stance with that squad. It's very, very strong, and that also made my squad choice very easy because again, I'm seeing Vader, I'm seeing Obi two, I'm seeing. Maul, I'm seeing Super Commandos. That's a lot of wound potential, right? So I felt honestly more confident going into this game than into the game with you, Tom, just because um, I, I I like my Talzin Dooku squad better. Uh, just It just feels good with my style. And and this was more of the, the list I've sort of set myself up to counter. It definitely wasn't an easy match. Um, it was another three three struggle with a... a I think I, I got the first struggle reasonably Weekly, that was probably the easiest of them, um, purely because um, uh, Wreath, uh, his the bottom of his deck was Vader and then Shatterpoint, um, which mm. was a bit rough for him because it just meant that I could, you know, get enough models on the side where um, on the uh, the point on the side where um, his Vader was. This was another sabotage showdown um, where he just went. By the time Vader activated, he just he wasn't as influential as he is when he comes out early and can just you know insta wound something Shatterpoint, insta wound something else, and then sort of steamroll from there so so that was a bit lucky um and then um the other two struggles were both you know yeah definitely challenging but yeah just having that first struggle win meant i could sort of just hold position and 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 get through it yeah and then you were the winner so again massive congratulations and thanks so much for um going through those those games sort of step by step and i I hope the listeners uh garnered something out of how you approach those games and how you approach your squad design or your strike team design because i think you know we are now getting to or are at the stage where you can start saying all right well look you know i I feel like i can predict xyz will appear on the table at least once or twice and having a tech piece for that in my premier strike team is a really good idea so i really like how you've gone about uh, designing your premier strike team and um yeah i mean Cameron, do you have anything to add or 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 ask the the one thing i would like to hear from you luke is if you had advice for anyone who say maybe went two and three um because they sort of hobbled together a, a mess of a premier strike team what advice would you be giving to people now as they prep for say arccon in melbourne in april yeah gotcha so i think I think the you're exactly right that a lot of it is thinking about what you're going to face, right? And uh, my sort of my feel at the moment 
in terms of broad categories of what you're going to see a lot of is so the the hyper aggressive lists the you know vader plus something aggressive that's just going to try and you know do a lot bunch of wounds and take control that way the sort of your droid swarm or soon to be ewok swarm that sort of I'm going to move a bunch of units really quickly and um, they, as long as they're not, if they're not wounded, then you, you're going to have problems because they're just going to swarm points and you're not going to be able to keep up with it. Um, and then Talzin Dooku or Dooku Ahsoka is probably the other big one, which is the really reactive, you know, just if you wound things, I'm going to, I'm going to come back at you. I, I think those are broadly the big ones. And, and then everything else is sort of, uh, uh, more or less a mix of that. I think Republic Obi is a little bit its own thing, so you need an answer for it. So I think you sort of need to have a clear idea of what you're playing into, and then from there decide what are the roles your squads are going to play. No, that's really good, and um, and also reps. You know, mm. joining the TTS leagues a fantastic way to get reps against people you might not have played against before. See see new lists that are appearing because people love to see a new list, take it, try it into the TTS league, and if it finds success. That's one way we start to see things rising to the top. I think I probably between the TTS League and in person, it was probably two games a week plus a couple of weekend events. But yeah, I 100% agree. This is a game that really rewards reps. Um, like yeah, I definitely. Think as long as you're sort of building out of the obvious synergies or have built some synergies of your own from cobbling them together, if you put reps in, you're going to do well. So look, um, there's just two things that I sort of want to touch on before, you know, we let you go. <laughs> but um, the first is you mentioned after the event when when Cameron came over to you and, and had a bit of a chat that you stated that you felt quite lucky that you didn't see any Obi Mace. Yeah, look, I think that's sort of, that's a bit of an uncomfortable matchup for me because I don't like my and Dooku squad into it all that much mm. and because then my other choice is to just go into a mirror and then I just have it has to be a skill game right and um, I'd much rather play better and have an edge than just purely have to play better and because I think once you're that closely matched if you're a closely matched player then it comes down to dice which is not where you want to be right yeah, cool. And look, we won't um, harp on, I guess, about the statistics of the event too much. What I will do is put the link to the event in the show notes. So any of you listeners can go and check it out and, and look at what was played and what was popular, etc. But I do want to ask you sort of the state of Obi. Maybe it's popular here in Australia, but I think this is quite emblematic of, of where Obi should be in the, the grand scheme of things. At CanCon, Obi was actually the most successful win rate primary with a win rate of 68%, which is massive. He had 19 games, 13 wins and six losses. Uh, only two of them came from you as well. So there was a lot of Obi there. He was doing really, really good stuff. Uh, and yeah, I just wanted to ask you about your opinion on Obi and I guess what his secret source is because it seems like the rest of the community sentiment is that he's not that fantastic or at least Gar or Galactic Republic are not in a particularly good place. Uh, I personally, I don't want to say vehemently disagree, but I think Gar are fantastic. Um, so I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I think, I think Obi is... He's, he's an interesting one. I think he's really, really good, particularly in Premiere, because I think he there's a lot of matches he's really good into. There's a lot of matches where it's honestly really uncomfortable to play into him, anywhere you don't have diceless displacement. Um, he's just he's a massive pain when everyone's got hunkers and just bouncing back to points, and it's it's just it's a it's a miserable experience. Even aside from the fact that his activations themselves are quite impactful, that win rate does surprise me a little bit. I wouldn't have said he's the best. 
but I wonder if maybe it's just a bunch of people have picked the right matchups for him across the event, which has, has gotten him that really strong win rate. And I think for listeners, if they want to take anything out of this brief um, uh, discussion that we had about Obi, uh, the one thing that I want to maybe anecdotally express is that I think that Obi-Wan Kenobi, General Obi-Wan Kenobi, has a really good matchup into Mother Talzin and into Lord Maul. Uh, I know that it sounds a little strange me saying Lord Maul because of the fact that Obi doesn't want to be exposed, but if you can time Obi-Wan Kenobi's activation into Lord Maul or into Mother Talzin, I think Obi can shut down their next activations or their revenge shots beautifully. The the second step disarm on Obi-Wan Kenobi's tree is instrumental, I think, in shutting off both Lord Maul and Mother Talzin. And I think I would encourage a lot of people to, to play into those games just to see how they go, because I, I really think that he has some strength into some of those Dathomirian squads. Yeah, and I think we'll see a lot more of those as well, just because the synergy... Synergy strength in that box off the shelf is so strong. I mean, most people who brought Talzin just played her. I think everyone, in fact, played her straight out of the box. Um, and or I think close just, to, yeah. Or close to, yeah. So definitely something to, to keep in mind about how that might play into what I think will be fairly relevant. She was, in terms of played, she was the third most played. She was brought by 12 players, 27 games. So you'll be seeing a lot of her, I believe. Yep, and that actually, if you don't mind me jumping in with one other interesting thing I saw from the from the tournament was that was who actually performed like lower than you would generally expect from sort of the talk online, and that was both Grievous and Vader. So Vader in particular was I think the second most taken after Maul, um, only a forty two percent win rate. I suspect that's mostly because there was a lot of Talzin and a lot of Dooku, um, which meant there was a lot of revenge effects. So it's it's uh, I just found interesting because um, I think a lot of the particularly the early discourse was about you know. Vader is the strongest thing out there. Vader is broken. Vader needs to be nerfed. And I think the communities quickly found that actually is if you play the right things into him, he's just he's just he's good. He's not unbeatable or over the curve strong. Um, so yeah, I found that really interesting. I, I do completely agree, and I'm glad to see that statistic uh, has has sort of calmed down. You know, he's still incredibly popular, and I, we did talk about this last uh, last month with with Morgan. Um, he's the Dark Lord. He's Darth Vader. He's the Jedi Hunter. He's an incredibly easy primary to play and play well because of his aggressive nature and the the ability for him to snowball. But I mean, yeah, you build correctly. You give people a platform to build premier strike teams, and I think he's just going to perform as well as as anything else. So that was a really cool statistic to see. So Luke, thank you again so much for coming on to to the podcast. Before we let you go, did you have anything else that you wanted to add or anything that you wanted to talk about at CanCon or potentially any shout outs? Yeah, look, I guess just a shout out to the um, Black Havoc crew. So that's the, the Victorian squad from way back X-Wing days. But um, I think we ended up being maybe nine or 10 of the of the 30 people at the event, which was really cool to be able to um, travel with so many friends. And yeah, otherwise just, yeah, thanks. Thanks you guys for having me on. And I guess probably actually, especially thanks, Michael, for for putting the event on. I thanked him in person multiple times, but um, he put so much work into that and it, and it came off beautifully. So, so that was awesome. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you, Luke. Massive congratulations again for winning the first, the inaugural premiere event here in Australia for Shatterpoint. You, you're down in the history books and uh, you've also got a massive target on your head, I think, for next time. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, thanks. All right, so now Tom and I, that was a great conversation that we just had with Luke there. Now we're going to move on to a different sort of Luke. Obviously, everyone's very excited about Jedi Knight, Luke Skywalker, 
Darth Vader, the Emperor's servant. So Tom and I thought this would be a really great way to talk about these two new primaries that are coming into the game, how they might fit into the game as it stands now. We'll do a little bit of forward speculation perhaps about the roles they might fill long-term in what are really two new factions coming into the game. Obviously, Tom agrees we don't really have factions, but in a lot of ways we do. We're around, you know, we've got the errors, we've got keywords. We'll have a bit of discussion around that. We're going to talk a little bit about some squad building theory and then also how Jedi Knight Luke Skywalker and the new Emperor's servant Darth Vader might fit into that squad building theory. You with me, Tom? We're ready to go? Yeah, absolutely. I think the the one thing that I just wanted to preface is uh, this isn't a box review. We're not going to be going through the abilities on these cards per se or their combat trees or anything like that. If if you do want something of the sorts, Hello There did a really good episode on on these new boxes and they went through them in their entirety. So, you know, I'll put the the show note link in in the bottom if you guys want to just a sort of a straight box review. But this is more, as you've said, Cameron, a, a, an idea or maybe a prediction of where these guys are going to sit and how we're going to build strike teams with them. Yeah, and I think you know, head to Shatterpoint DB, head to Point Break, any of your favorite squad builders, you'll be able to see what these guys can do. They do a lot of stuff. It's really interesting. And what we want to nut down here is really how do we think these guys are going to play into the game and and how are people going to be able to utilize them to to squad build, to maybe change some of the current squads people are running and how they might run into those squads. So I guess the first thing we want to frame here is Morgan spoke last episode. And if you haven't listened to it, I really, really encourage you to go do so. Uh, Morgan spoke about his theory of squad building, which I really liked felt like that resonated with me. I'm sure that resonated with you, Tom. Absolutely, yep. So he called it, and I love this, the rule of two. Basically, Morgan sees three key roles when he's building a Premier squad, and he believes them to be diceless displacement, objective holders, and frontline brawlers. And, and those were his words. I, I think he called them objective potatoes, but I've decided to call them objective holders. Um, <laughs> and, and what he does is he brings two of each of those. He wants to make sure that in his full Premier squad, he's got two of each. We've sort of expanded out, Tom, and I've sort of gone back and forth about some other roles that, you know, it's not an exhaustive list. You know, these aren't game terms. These are just theories. These are game theories that we're sort of playing with at the moment. So there are many roles a unit can play. They could play no role. They could play multiple roles. But we think it's really handy as you're sitting down. There's so many options to choose from that it could be really handy to start thinking about a particular role you want filled in your squad, or maybe you've got a role missing in your squad and how different units might play into that. So that's something that that Tom and I might share on the Discord, which we should all be joining. If you're listening to this podcast, you should be jumping onto the Space Slugs Discord. We're going to be working on a little bit more around these roles and and just to start some conversation, right? Because I think everyone's got their own ideas, everyone's got their own theories, and this is just, you know, Two idiots from Australia who've got some ideas, right, Tom? Yeah, definitely. And I think this 2024 probably feels like, I guess for the Australians, the year of the premier format. So having those rules of two guides or having those role guides in our strike team or in our premier strike team, it just sound like they're worth it. And, you know, you, you don't have to build 
a strike team like this whatsoever i mean the game completely functions fluidly and beautifully and if you want to competitively without filling these or forming your strike teams like these but i just think it's a good conversation to have and maybe it resonates with more players uh, like myself or like you cam or like luke for example who who broke down his strike team really really nicely uh, or his premier strike team so yeah yeah and uh, the last thing we want to do is narrow anyone's thinking here the idea is to broaden everyone's thinking and me as a person, I really love putting things in boxes. I've always loved putting things in boxes. And when I say that, I mean I like structure. It makes things a little bit easier for me to digest, to pass, to make sense of. So this is sort of where that thinking has come from. Uh, and that's just the frame we're using to look at to look at Vader and to look at Luke and how they might play into our squad building decisions and also the meta just in general. So I guess we'll just dive into maybe some ideas of when we say diceless displacement, what exactly do we mean, Tom? Yeah, so diceless displacement, I guess, at at its core is purely being able to move one or more units without relying on dice. So I can walk up to you, I can move you off a point or move you closer to me and then take the point off of you. And a prime example of this might be Lord Maul with his there is no place to run ability. Yeah, and, and excitingly, we actually get a new diceless displacement in the new Vader box in the Stormtroopers. So that's really the first support unit that has diceless displacement. Someone can correct me. Fifth brother and fourth sister. However, this is the first diceless displacement unit that we've seen that has two models in it. So that's really, really uh, important and a a good distinction to make. Yeah, a more traditional support unit as we think of them. It's so funny to say traditional. The game's only seven months old. Uh, (laughs) But still traditional. You know, there's only currently two units that are support units with a single model, a uh, single character, sorry. So that's a really that's really exciting. Um, so that's diceless displacement. We've got objective holders, which we've sort of taken a cue from Morgan here. And, and essentially someone who can comfortably sit on an objective, they're happy to take some damage, they're happy to be there, but their job is to be there, to hold the objective and to make sure you keep scoring those points. Things like protection, steadfast, really, really helpful to achieve those goals. Or just a big health pool as well. Or just a big health pool. And I I also think sort of large base miniature can really be helpful there as well because they're a lot harder to move out of the way of, say, scattered terrain or other models. They're a little bit harder to push because pushing is so important in this game. So Mm. that's an objective holder. I think in episode one, Morgan describes the B2s as his preferred or one of his favorite objective holders because they just sit there. They've got protection. They'll just shoot at you and and maybe they'll get some out of activation movement, but realistically their job is to just get on a point and keep scoring it. And then the last one that Morgan defined for us was the frontline brawler. Yeah, (laughs) the frontline brawler. So this is basically units that can move forward, take objectives, trade blows, and usually end up with a positive result. And, you know, they probably don't mind being attacked, being that in melee or or ranged. And, you know, of course, they they benefit from extra movement as well. So these are units like the Mandalorian Super Commandos that Luke had previously stated that gave him a lot of grief. Probably any support that's in that eight plus health range. So including the Bounty Hunters as well, they're quite a durable, nice unit. And then, of course, there's, there's things like Magna Guard who really only sing when they're getting some out of activation movement and, and separatist synergy. Whereas, you know, Mandalorians and Bounty Hunters and other eight health support just can splash in as, as great frontline brawler units for any of the premier strike teams that you're trying to create. Yeah, and I think also it's important not to, I mean, again, these aren't specific, they're not, they're not exhaustive, but someone like Grievous also can fill that role 
if you need him as well. He's very quick. He can get up there and he, people are terrified of Grievous. You see Grievous activating and you start wondering okay, where exactly is he going to go and who is he going to kill? Mm. So, you know, it's not just going to be frontline brawlers aren't always just support units. It's going to be secondaries. It's going to be primaries as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's really good, a really good distinction to make there with General Grievous. The reason that he's such a strong frontline brawler in a primary character is because of his cunning warlord defensive expertise. So whilst he might be taking a lot of damage, if you don't get a pin on him or something similar, he'll probably just be able to come straight back onto the point. And, you know, really other strong durable primaries such as a Darth Vader, they don't have that capacity. Anakin doesn't have that capacity to do that. Mace doesn't have the capacity to do that unless they've got bringing support from other units. So yeah, I just thought I'd add that in as well. Yeah, no, no, great, great clarification there. And I, so those are the three that we're sort of, that, that Morgan has identified as you really want to be getting two of each of those in your premier squad. And that is obviously four strike teams. So it's a very broad, um, a lot of units to utilize to try and fill those fill those gaps. But that's something Morgan identified and we, we tend to agree with. There are some other ones that we won't go too in-depth on. Pretty self-explanatory stuff. Beat Stick, Darth Vader Jedi Hunter is the prime example. Anakin Skywalker, the other Mace Windu. These are basically high damage output. They've got consistency. They've got good expertise trees to get crits through. Lots of damage early on their combat tree. Usually they're one-shotting a support, most of the secondaries and a few low health primaries. Just look at Darth Vader Jedi Hunter. You'll understand what we mean by that. I think one real key thing that I'd like the community to start thinking of when they look at a beat stick or a character that can do a lot of damage is A, the expertise tree, how reliable or consistent that expertise tree is. Characters like Darth Vader Jedi Hunter have an incredibly consistent expertise tree, as does Anakin Skywalker and General Grievous. And they also benefit from the fact that they can do seven damage in three successes, which in my mind is sort of where I'm aiming for. The, the way that I've built a lot of my Anakin Skywalker strike teams and, and tactics and, and strategy has been utilizing that seven damage in three. And I feel like if I gravitated towards Darth Vader, Jedi Hunter uh, or Mace Windu, I'd be trying to utilize that high damage output of a beat stick that's consistent, right? I'm not just going to try and use any other character to do a lot of damage. So yeah, I think yeah. that's a really good way of trying to frame how you want to use these characters. Yeah, and a beat stick doesn't necessarily mean they're a simple character. And, and usually a lot of these beat sticks will be able to fill other roles as well. Um, but yeah, again, just, just ways for us to really think about think about squad building. And then we have something like a tank, which I don't think is necessarily too strict of an idea and, and not always that useful, but they're usually a character that's got a good defensive spread, solid defensive expertise. Examples, Tom, you could think of? Yeah, so uh, tanks would be, uh, in my mind, General Obi-Wan Kenobi because he's great at taking ranged attacks. He can get himself back onto points because of his identity. And then, you know, more reactive ability-based characters such as Ahsoka Tano, Jedi No More. She's a tank because she can half damage in melee. Mace Windu is great if he's engaged because not only does he have a fantastic expertise chart on defense, but he also gets steadfast in protection when he's engaged. So stuff like that. Yeah, and Count Dooku, he's got the abilities to just, just turn turn off your attacks. Um, and I think one that surprised a lot of people on the weekend at uh, CanCon, possibly because she's not played that much, is Aura Singh. A lot of the time, if you're making an attack into Aura Singh, you're not really doing much. She's got a really great defensive expertise. So that's just stuff to think about. They're sort of the characters you don't mind putting in risky situations because you know they've got some outs. 
And then the last two roles that, that Tom and I sort of see are playmakers. Tom, do you want to try and explain what, a, what, we, what we mean by playmaker? Yeah, so playmakers are probably something that as you develop your Shutterpoint acumen are going to be something that you start gravitating towards more. And these basically enable big swings and they're not only really impactful on the table, but they're incredibly fun to set up. But also if you don't get them right, you know, they they leave you hanging uh, quite quite badly. And if you want to see a prime example of that, you can go to our YouTube channel and, and check out <laughs> my game against Olek. We, we previewed some of the new Ewoks on TTS. So go and check that out and see playmakers like Asajj Ventress being used to poor effect. But <laughs> um, yeah, these are big swing characters. So they can utilize their own abilities or, or utilize other units to essentially swing two or more objectives right so these are characters like Asajj Ventress um, you know she has beautiful pushes on her combat tree she has a force push as well which she can often trigger for free so that means she can influence a lot of objectives Mother Talzin has again a really strong ranged attack but she also has manipulating hand which can just dash people away so yeah characters like that that can influence multiple objectives and score you multiple points yeah these are the ones where you get their activation and you really they probably take the most amount of thought because you need to make sure you want to maximize their activation because they're not a B2 battle droid. They're not just going to walk forward, maybe push someone, maybe get some damage in and sit on a point. These are the ones who are going to, they've got a lot of tricks in their, in their pocket and they're going to try and swing two objectives, maybe more if you're very lucky and set it up well. Mm. Um, and then the last one, Tom, do you want to run us through the last one as well? Yeah, so these are enablers, uh, and this is probably what we're going to focus on a little bit in terms of framing uh, or putting Jedi Knights, Luke Skywalker, and Emperor Servant Darth Vader into a box, as Cameron was stating before. So enablers essentially unlock keyword abilities for a strike team. So keyword synergy uh, that you'd probably build around, uh, and this probably is going to direct your unit choices. And I think the the one that we've seen the, the most of at this stage is the Separatist keyword and the Clone keyword or the Galactic Republic keyword, I should say. Uh, and the two ones that come to my mind that have been released right now uh, as of the 2nd of February would be General Obi-Wan Kenobi with his hunker shenanigans, thanks to knowledge and defense. And then also, you know, Count Dooku as well with Separatist keywords or the super tactical droids swing to mind as well. Yeah, with the, the battle droids, their droid synergy. Yeah, and the, and the enablers are very much more, and, and the whole framing of this is around squad building. So sometimes, you know, you're going to bring a Magna Guard because you want them to be a frontline brawler, but if you're not playing them right or you don't build the squad correctly, you're not necessarily going to be able to get that sort of role out of them, that use out of them. But this is just a way for us to start thinking about when we're squad building, what sort of things do I want to be doing in my squad and who can I identify fill these roles and what do I want to be doing with these roles? So again, we'll, we'll share this sort of theory that we're framing onto our Discord and we'd love to get some feedback and some get some thought going and some conversation going on it because I think squad building theory is one of my favorite things. Tom, it was when we were playing X-Wing, that was one of my favorite things to do was to try and fit all these little pieces together and make something weird happen and work and be beautiful. Oh, absolutely. I nearly failed many a university assignment because Cameron and I were just talking about ways to fit in a unique little upgrade for the next big X-Wing event. So 100% agree. This is one of my favorite things to do if I've got yeah. nothing to do. And even when he has something to do, oh, yeah. uh, that's still his favorite thing. So having said all of that, and I hope that was an overload for everyone, and I really, really would love to hear people's thoughts on that, just that general theory. Um, but we're going to take that theory. We're going to use that as some framing around the two probably most exciting characters we've had injected into Shadowpoint so far, would you say? 
Oh, big time. Yeah. So, I mean, it was very exciting seeing Darth Vader Jedi Hunter come into the game. But in my mind, I thought that that release, the model is beautiful. But I thought that the release was relatively disappointing in terms of the the, the one-dimensional sort of scale that Darth Vader Jedi Hunter brings to the table, right? He's got one role. He does it pretty well. <laughs> he's going to wound people fairly consistently, but he doesn't do much. He's not. He's definitely not an enabler, right? He's not a, an definitely, objective yeah. holder either in my mind, right? Seeing Darth Vader, Emperor's Servant come out and Jedi Knight Luke Skywalker, I mean, yeah, super cool, super exciting. Yeah, I think Vader Jedi Hunter could fill a frontline brawler role if you needed it, but he, he also just sort of can melt if he gets put under too much pressure. So Emperor's Servant does fill a, I think, very different role. I'm going to, I think we'll start with Jedi Knight Luke Skywalker as a, as a conversation piece, Tom, and how we think he might fit into the roles and in, into the game just in general as well. So what are your initial thoughts on Jedi Knight Luke Skywalker and how he's going to fit into the game? Yeah, sure. So if we're going to frame the whole conversation around the roles that we just described, uh, I would say that Luke first and foremost, probably comes in as an objective holder. So he's got some really, really great defensive abilities in the fact that he's got an ability called I will not fight you. If he uh, gets attacked in melee, he can spend one force. Uh, and essentially, if a failure was rolled in the attack roll, he not only gets to heal twice, but he also gets to jump. So he'll be able to clear off any pins and he'll be able to jump straight back onto the objective, uh, assuming he doesn't get wounded. So that's a really strong ability that I see and combined with deflect, I think that he's quite an unattractive target <laughs> in all capacity, right? You don't want to shoot him and you definitely don't want to melee him because he's just going to come straight back on. Um, so I see him as a really great objective holder. I see him as a really good tank as well because his identity means that he's often going to be immune to either expose or pin. I do think he'll be a playmaker, but I don't think he'll be an enabler. So I actually, I, I, I do agree with what you said, definitely. I think Luke Luke fills, I think Luke fills a lot of roles. I think he's sort of a jack of all trades. We were talking earlier, we think he's very much a pick and drop. You can sort of drop him into nearly any squad with an idea of how that squad will work and he'll still get value, right? Mm. And we likened that to the idea of Darth Vader Jedi Hunter. He can pretty much go in any squad, right? He can, You can pair him with anyone and you're going to get a lot of value out of him because he just hits hard. Whereas I think Luke because he's so independent and he can do so much on his own, you don't want to shoot at him. He can move fairly quickly with that jump. So he's not the quickest ever, but he does get an extra short move. His ability, I will not fight you, is really strong. The idea of jumping and healing, double healing and then jumping after an attack means he's going to be very sticky. So I agree, he's going to be very good at holding objectives down. Uh, but I, I, I do see him as a frontline brawler, but maybe that's just my play style. You and I do, I know, disagree here, but I actually do value his diceless displacement. You can either profit from this or be destroyed. I think he fills that role as well, but I think maybe you disagree on that, Tom. So I think that um, one of the strongest abilities that Jedi Knight Luke Skywalker brings is you can either profit by this or be destroyed. So real quick for the listeners, you choose an active objective within two of Luke Skywalker. Each enemy character contesting that objective may dash. Then one character in this unit, being Luke Skywalker, may dash toward that objective and make a five dice melee attack. Now that doesn't have to be into any particular target. 
the only condition that you need to meet there with Luke is the fact that you need to start that whole cascade of triggers within two of an active objective. So I think that's a phenomenal ability. I think it's like levels of Anakin Skywalker double tap that we haven't really seen in the game yet. And I'm incredibly excited, but I don't think it's diceless displacement because your opponent gets to choose where they want to go. So that's just sort of my thinking there. Yeah, I think if we look at it as a, on a grading scale, I wouldn't put it up high. The drawback of your opponent deciding who does and doesn't move, where they move, is a big drawback but the threat of you getting punched in the face by luke skywalker he's possibly healing he's pushing you maybe he's jumping maybe he's getting a full reposition off that second attack it is enough to cause some concern for people i will agree that yeah it's not the best diceless displacement in the game but i would still if i'm building my squad I'm going to be happy I've got that diceless displacement. I would still tick that box for Luke. But I can understand and agree with your with your reasoning behind not ticking that box for Luke. Yeah, look, I think I do agree with you in terms of the fact that I like I I wouldn't feel obliged or necessarily incentivized to also fit in a diceless displacement character with Luke. I think that unlike a lot of other primaries that lack diceless displacement, Luke can confidently go up and take an objective that has two characters from different units on them, right? So he's going to move up to an objective. Let's say you've got a Magna Guard and a B2 Battle Droid there. He's going to use, you can either profit by this or be destroyed on the B2 Battle Droid. And he'll probably get that shoved off because of his excellent Sorosu tree. And then he can use his actual attack to attack the Magna Guard and also shove that off. So I guess... Maybe I don't see it as diceless displacement because he's still making attacks, right? I think that the strength of him is being able to move people away but still almost rely on the fact that you are rolling dice. So I think he's an excellent, like, I'm going to control this objective. You can put two bodies on it, but I'm still going to take it off you, which I love. I think he's incredibly strong. But yeah, I think maybe we just differ on the actual definition of the diceless displacement. And I think he fills that role as adequately as Maul or Django or something similar. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. And yeah, and I'd be really interested to hear what people think as well about how we're sort of evaluating Luke here. Do you think in terms of he's our first, this is our first Rebel Alliance box. Do you think he's going to make a good Rebel Alliance, air quotes, enabler? You know, I, I hesitate to say leader, but enabler. Do you think he's going to be an enabler for the Rebel Alliance? No, I don't. He doesn't have any keyword synergy other than the fact that, you know, when Rebel Alliance characters come in with things like coordinated fire or something similar. But yeah, at this stage, he does nothing for your Rebel team outside of being a fantastic primary. Um, But no, I don't think he'll be an enabler. Yeah, so do you think we're going to see him, and I mean, it's still early days, a little bit of speculation here, but do you think we're going to see him a lot with Rebels or is he going to find a way to maybe sit with some Ewoks? Is he going to be, you know, eventually we're going to get characters in this era that aren't a rebel or are a galactic empire? Do you think he's going to be comfortable slotting into all those different with lots of different supports and lots of different secondaries? I think he'll be a mainstay for a while. I completely agree. Yeah, I think he'll be everywhere <laughs> like I a really mall do. right like a mall yes. where mall you can just sort of put him with anyone from that era and he's going to get value and you're not going to be too stressed about it 100 yeah so he's definitely not as fast as mall but he is in my mind a mall-esque character without a ranged attack which is a big drawback right big, yeah. but he big. he doesn't really have a lot of force intensity like 
very similarly to Maul. Maul has his own sort of economy. So does Luke in his own activation, at least. Like he's getting a force back when he activates because of Return of the Jedi. His ability he gets to refresh a force and jump. And then he's probably only spending that on his act in his activation on you can either profit by this or be destroyed, right? So he doesn't actually use any force for your team in his activation, quote unquote. Yeah, and that that ability, which we both agree is very powerful, you can either profit, is essentially free for him as long as he's not the first activation you've got in your deck rotation, right? Yeah, it might feel a little bit strange, but I think getting an early shatter point and just using that on Luke is going to be awesome because you're going to be able to put him on a point his order card will still be in the order deck so he'll be immune to expose and you're just not going to shake him off a point unless you outnumber him and then when he actually draws his order card you can almost certainly take the point back he's probably the most exciting release that we've had so far for me at least I agree. For me, it's it's more around just how much he does and how differently he does it. So the the order deck, you can draw him, and if he's still sitting in a really good position, and someone's got half troopers and they've got night sisters, and you really don't want to be exposed, you just put him in reserve, and he's just going to sit there happy. You're not going to be you're not going to be able to expose him. You're not going to be able to turn off those defensive expertise which are pretty decent he's, he's got a pretty decent expertise tree and it's really exciting i think it's really exciting when we get a versatile it's great and awesome when we get a really focused character that does you know mother talzin love mother talzin she's awesome she's very focused though so if i'm playing her i'm almost certainly bringing her whole box with me but with luke he may never see boosh and lando and r2d2 ever again i may never bother 100 you you could be absolutely correct what techniques or pieces of utility or tools are you going to bring in your premier strike team do you think to be able to handle luke and the main one that i see is diceless displacement i think having a team that relies on diceless displacement or at least features heavy diceless displacement is going to be key to beating luke skywalker diceless displacement for sure because attacking luke is just bad but Mm. anything with coordinated fire strain I think at the moment that's 501st. Oh, the return of the 501st. Here we go. Anyone else? Does anyone else have, have it? The wolf pack have coordinated fire strain. You know what's going to be really strong? Disarm. Coordinated fire disarm uh, ah, from yes. the handmaidens is going to be clutch because that very turns true. off his amazing expertise tree on Sorosu. Yeah, very true. I think that will be really, uh, really, really powerful. Mm. Uh, the, the, the strains and disarms because, you know, it's going unsaid here, I guess, as we're discussing conditions, but... He's either immune to expose or he's immune to pin. Or both if he's in the reserve. Yeah, so if he's in reserve, he's immune to both. So you really can't be relying. And I think at the moment, I think what's really interesting about that ability is because those are two of the most common conditions. I think of all the conditions I received at CanCon on the weekend, expose and pin were the, the number ones. By far. That's what everyone's trying to get onto the table, onto each of the units, right, at the moment? Yeah, and that's why it's so exciting to see a character like Luke, who's going to be a powerhouse, sort of force the reshape of <laughs> of Premier Strike Team building, which is super cool. So, yeah, I think, you know, if, if, if the listeners, which is one of our sort of mission statements, if the listeners were going to take one piece of information out of our Jedi Knight Luke Skywalker roles or counter roles would be, I think, Dice's Displacement because uh, you're turning off Deflect uh, and you're turning off I Will Not Fight You. Um, So some really, really strong ways to turn off his kit and you don't care about I Am a Jedi like my father before me and his immunity to conditions. So Django, Maul, Mother Talzin, I mean, all of these, yeah, 
and Boosh, actually. I think Boosh is going to be a really good way of dealing with Luke, as are the Stormtroopers in Emperor's Servant Darth Vader's kit. So, yeah, I guess at the moment, if, if you're looking to fill an objective-holding role in your squad, maybe you want some not-so-good diceless displacement, according to Tom. Jedi Knight Luke Skywalker is a, is a really good unit to bring and fit that bill. Uh, you'd be a little bit restricted because obviously at the moment there's not a huge amount of units that can play in the era that Luke is in, but obviously this this will be uh, some some good advice for the future as well. That's that's what Luke's going to bring to the table, we feel anyway, at the moment. And I'd be very, very interested to see where he sits in a month or two months' time just as the game develops and as the TTS League gets sort of looked at. Yeah, and, and this will be his first TTS League as well. Right, yeah. season three? Absolutely. Yeah. Episode three, sorry. Very, very exciting. So please, if anyone's got any more thoughts or anything they think we got wrong, any conversation you want to have around Jedi Knight Luke Skywalker, please jump in the Discord. We'd love to have a chat with people about their thoughts on it because we're obviously just two people. What did you say before? Two idiots from Australia? <laughs> yeah, two idiots. Two absolute knuckleheads from Australia. That should be the new podcast name, Two Idiots from Australia. <laughs> I don't know. I paid a lot of money for that, uh, for that logo, so maybe we won't. <laughs> anyway, moving on to... Tom's favorite character, not true, but many people's favorite character, Darth Vader, the Emperor's servant. Mm. You just real quick before we go on, okay. um, my favorite character from the original trilogy <laughs> is Han Solo. <laughs> I am so excited for Han Solo, and my favorite character from the uh, the prequel trilogy would be you know Ewan McGregor's Obi Wan. However, as we've sort of gone on. Hayden Christensen has developed a very, very important place in my heart, especially, you know, via Ahsoka and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Anyway, I just thought I'd let you know, guys, that my favorite character in this era is by and large Han Solo. And I I feel like I'm the only one excited for it. But anyway, that's just me. Yeah, we did at the weekend. It's really good to point out. We talked about um, characters we thought might be coming when we were having beers after day one. We were talking about characters we thought might be coming to Shatterpoint and who we're excited about. And the whole table erupted in excitement around the idea of Qui-Gon Jinn and a dual pack with Obi-Wan Padawan and and, and uh, Darth Maul and everyone got really excited. And then Tom, he jumped in and he said, yeah, Nick, who's excited for Han Solo? <laughs> and it was just silence. And I don't think that's a comment necessarily uh, on Tom's clout because you know, Tom's got a lot of clout. It was more just people just aren't that excited about Han Solo. I don't know why. Maybe it's it. a topic of conversation we can have on another episode maybe. Put it in the Discord. Let us know. Please. I need, Tom I need needs support. friends. <laughs> um, uh, cool. So Darth Vader, and I think Darth Vader has been a big topic of conversation. I'm sure he was during the, the reign of the Galactic Empire as well, but he's been a lot, a big topic of conversation around Shatterpoint and that's specifically around Jedi Hunter. Mm. And really interestingly, and not to, to, to drive off into the to another topic, but I think one of the reasons he's been so popular and he had such a big showing at CanCon is simply because he's Darth Vader. He's my favorite model that I've got. He's such an iconic villain. He's so cool. You love to play as Darth Vader. Um, but I feel like that was the imposter Vader. This is the true Vader we remember from A New Hope, from Empire Strikes Back, and from Return of the Jedi. This is the Vader. So I think regardless of whether or not this Vader is good, he's going to see a lot of play over the next couple of months. Mm. So I think it's important that we understand his role, who we think he might pair well with, because I think he's going to be very very popular yeah definitely okay so look 
In terms of the roles that we think, or at least I think, uh, I'll go first, uh, that, oh, sure. this, <laughs> that Emperor's servant Darth Vader performs, I think he is a beat stick. I think his gem so combat tree is going to do a lot of damage very reliably, especially because he can use his anger, hatred, and aggression ability to add dice and um, you know spike up to 10 or 11 dice on either ranged or melee. So I think he's a great beat stick. He's going to be able to do a lot of damage, which is going to be really strong. And I also think that he plays really nicely into the tank um, sort of category, which Jedi Hunter didn't do particularly well. I felt like Jedi Hunter could get uh, what I would say ragdolled quite a lot because he had no crit mitigation. He had no great expertise on his defense, but the new Vader does, I think. He's got the defensive form, which turns crits to strikes on his form five gem so, and on his form five Xien, each result that he rolls as an expertise will actually add a heal or two into the role. So that's gonna be really great in terms of um, making sure that he's sort of fit and healthy and conditionless, which I think is super strong. Well, I guess his defensive form healing isn't that important because the, the downside of that anger hate aggression is the expose that you get should you roll any failure results which is almost guaranteed to happen when you're rolling 10 to 11 dice Mm. so i think that's going to be really important that's a big downside for him in that that tank i think where you're saying he fits a tank role i think that that expose is going to be a big drawback for him. If he wants to fill a tank role, I think you need to lean less on the anger, hate, aggression. I think one good play before we get into his roles specifically, one good play is due to the fact that he can shuffle himself back into the deck thanks to his identity called You Cannot Hide Forever. I think a really good play pattern for Darth Vader, Emperor's Servant, will be going early. Uh, not necessarily wounding anyone or even using anger, hate, and aggression. Let's just say he's your first pick of the deck. You move him onto an objective and you take it. I think that's really strong. And then once the game starts rolling, I think a really common play pattern is going to be anger, hate, and aggression to dash into melee, then swing for a big attack, and then the second action actually be a heal to get rid of the expose. So I think that that's a really good way of making sure that he's always turned on in his Form 5 Xi'an form and making sure that his expertise uh, stays online. Um, so yeah, I just thought I'd add that. I think that's a really- no, That's great. And that, that leads perfectly into where I see him fitting, um, especially in the, the Rule of Two, Morgan's famous Rule of Two. I see him as a frontline brawler. Mm. He's someone you want to get into the fight ASAP because he's going to be doing a lot of pushing, a lot of pinning. He only gets one crit, but he's guaranteed to get a push and two damage off one expertise, assuming he's not disarmed. And I think that's really powerful. And he's got a range four gun as well. It's only five dice. Also importantly, anger, hate, aggression does work on his ranged attacks as well. But I, I really like your point that a lot of the play pattern is going to be Anger, hate, aggression, heal. I think we'll see a lot of that. Anger, hate, aggression, combat, heal. So one thing we didn't talk about with Luke Skywalker was the preferred mission pack. And we've only got two mission packs at the moment as of February 2024. Where do you think uh, Vader prefers? Is he more of a shifting priorities? Does he like sabotage showdown? I think he maybe prefers to be in a more tighter um, cluster of objectives, but I'm interested to hear your thought. Yeah. So I think Darth Vader will prefer Sabotage Showdown for the reasons that you've just stated. It will allow him to get into the fight early, but then when he shuffles back into the deck, he can start dashing, attacking, and then healing. 
So Sabotage Showdown will definitely sort of lend itself to that play pattern, I think. I don't really see Luke Skywalker, Jedi Knight, minding about the mission pack. I think that he, you know, he's going to be fast enough to dart around and and make the most of all of his abilities. Whereas Darth Vader, Emperor's Servant, will probably prefer Sabotage Showdown a lot. So with the Emperor's Servant, what... What what other than the the roles that we've outlined, where do you think people are going to draw their most value out of out of Vader? Obviously, his ability you cannot hide forever. If you've activated him using his order card and he doesn't wound someone, he shuffles back into the deck to be redrawn during this deck rotation, which is crazy. If you want to see a really good use of that ability, um, check out the preview game that I did with uh, Kevin C on our YouTube. There's a moment where essentially Kevin's guaranteed to win a particular struggle and he doesn't want to use one of his other big powerhouse characters as the last activation in the struggle, right? Because that's sort of a waste. Like, why would I want to use Anakin Skywalker if I'm already guaranteed to win that struggle? So he manages to actually draw Darth Vader Emperor's Servant, which is fantastic. He attacks into a character of mine, pushes them off one of the objectives that might be active for the next struggle, and then shuffles him straight back into the deck. And that, in my mind, sells this Darth Vader to me immediately. And I want to highlight the fact that I think that that the main value that people are going to get out of this Darth Vader is actually as an enabler because not only can he have some fantastic control over your order deck, but his innate ability called perhaps I can find new ways to motivate them uh, reads when a character in this unit wounds an enemy unit after the effect is resolved, another allied galactic empire character may dash. So he has some incredible board control that you just do not see out of Darth Vader Jedi Hunter. Uh, and I'm super keen to hear what you think about that. Yeah, I think he does. He, he very much can fill a playmaker role here as well. Him being able to use a ranged attack to maybe knock someone off a point and, and flip it back towards your favor, then move himself onto a different point to steal. And then also if he wounds someone during that that attack, he then gets to move a different Galactic Empire unit, which is really strong. Mm. You know, in, in a perfect scenario, he could potentially swing three points, which is, you know, that's the definition of a playmaker in my mind. And he really will be able to wound people, not necessarily on, on at a whim, but he's going to be in a very good position a lot of the time to do so, especially because he's just going to be activating a lot. He's going to be probably the, the unit you activate the most simply because of his you cannot hide forever ability. So he's definitely going to be a playmaker, a beat stick, a frontline brawler, and as you're saying, Tom, uh, an enabler. So very much around that same question I asked on Jedi Knight Luke Skywalker as to whether or not you think he'll be a uh, an enabler for Jedi, for, sorry, for Rebel Alliance. Do you, Tom, think that if you're building a Galactic Empire squad, at least for now, but also in the future, do you think Darth Vader, Emperor's Servant is going to be your linchpin? Is he going to be the one you, you choose to bring to, to bring the best out of the Galactic Empire? Uh, yeah, I think big time, actually. I think he, we talked about this briefly with Luke Thompson, the CanCon winner, as we said before. And we sort of touched on the idea that a lot of the top players at CanCon, not top players in general, just the top performers at CanCon, uh, really settled on a strike team A of two squads and a strike team B of two squads that were very different and performed very different roles. And we hadn't really noticed someone building a strike team around one specific squad. You know, we saw Morgan do that in TTS episode one, where he built everything around Darth Vader, Jedi Hunter, Jango Fett and Aft Troopers, and then cycled in different 
different rosters. But I think this Darth Vader uh, Emperor Servant is, is probably the first step in giving you a proper primary that you can fully build an affiliation around, uh, that being Galactic Empire. So I actually see him as being a massive enabler and a big linchpin for the Galactic Empire to build around uh, myself. Where do you see that value coming from? Yeah, so I see that as the ability for him to be sort of force neutral and that he brings three force and he doesn't really spend three force because he's always going to refresh one at the start of his activation. He's got some incredible battlefield control with his you cannot hide forever. So you can really sort of leverage the ability for him to repeatedly activate to gain control over a particular flank or something similar. And perhaps I can find new ways to motivate them. Him wounding someone and then dashing a Galactic Empire character, I think is incredibly strong. I think he's going to be incredibly flexible for you to build a strike team around. And he's also going to give your Galactic Empire units just a lot of utility and flexibility on the actual table. Okay. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I do have a different perspective only because when I'm looking at enablers, I'm thinking of the super tactical droids. I'm thinking of General Obi-Wan Kenobi. And these guys have... You know, those units have very strong keyword synergy, multiple abilities. Obi-Wan Kenobi's general Obi-Wan Kenobi. In his case, it's a constant battlefield change. He's constantly affecting your squad and he benefits greatly from that squad being Galactic Republic. So I, I think I disagree. I agree for now because really Vader, I mean, the only other Galactic Empire leader we have is other Vader or Grand Inquisitor and neither of them really can fill that role at the moment. You know, mm. Grand Inquisitor is more of an Inquisitor enabler than anything else. I think you definitely will bring Vader, much like you'll bring Jedi Knight Luke Skywalker. If you're going to run Rebel Alliance and you've got Rebel Alliance keyword synergy already, you're probably going to run Luke Skywalker, but I don't think you lead with Luke Skywalker in terms of building that premier, premier list. But I, I also don't think you necessarily lead with Vader going, I really want to build the best Galactic Empire list around what he's bringing and what he's doing differently to say what Grand Moff Tarkin might do down the right line or what Moff Gideon might do down the line you know that sort of thing but maybe I'm wrong who knows only one way to find out and and speaking of the one way to find out you know we previously committed here at the Space Lugs that we were going to do one episode per month this episode in February I guess we're so excited not only to be bringing for the first time episode three of the TTS League to the people we're actually for the first time running the TTS League which is going to be super exciting Space Lugs presents episode Space Lugs three presents of the TTS episodes three of the TTS League, absolutely. But also, we're so excited to bring you some of these stats based on Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, Emperor's servant, that we're actually going to have in the last week of February. A bit of a, a, a statistics roundup, much like I did with Morgan last month, but basically just focused on the impact on the meta that Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader are shaping up to have. So stay tuned for that in the last week of Feb, because that's going to be super exciting. Wait, so Tom, are you saying that we're going to have two episodes of the Space Slugs Shadowpoint podcast in February? It must be 11, 11 p.m. because yes, we are. Well, <laughs> Your wish is wish, coming everyone. true. Uh, you are getting two episodes in February of the Space Slugs. So stay tuned. It's going to be awesome. That's awesome. And and as always, we're really excited to hear people's feedback. If you liked this sort of discussion and you want us to have more discussions similar to this, please let us know. We're, we're, you know, we're still trying stuff out. We really want to find what we think is giving value to the community because that that's the goal, right, Tom? That the goal is for you to listen to this podcast, get a little bit of insight, take something away, be better at Shatterpoint. And we hope we've done that either 
from Luke Thompson's wonderful breakdown of his CanCon win or this discussion we're having now about how we think these two really impactful primaries are going to shape the the game as we know it moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, Cameron, you said that you're going to whack the role descriptions up on the Discord. Uh, if you guys aren't a Discord member, it is free. Much like you participating or listening to this podcast, we want every time that you sort of jump into that Discord to take something away and be a better Shadowpoint player or take something away from, from or for the community. Um, so yeah, jump in. All the descriptions and the links that you need are going to be in the episode show notes anyway. Um, so yeah, come on in, say hello and, and start the discussion about Shadowpoint with us. Yeah, please do. And if you've got any more ideas on your own squad building theory, we'd love to hear it. If you've got any more theories around other roles that we should probably try and highlight, there are definitely some characters out there who don't really fit one of these roles that that we've initially sort of thought about so really interested to expand this idea and get feedback on it and and hear other people's ideas we'd love to highlight other squad building theories other than morgan reed other than tom and cameron we'd love to get some more feedback and actually one of the best ways if you really want to help the podcast if you like what we're doing so far you're liking the battle reports you're liking the live streams the best way to support us other than to jump in the Discord is to join our Patreon. We've got all of the links down in the in the show notes that you you can use. Go and check out our YouTube channel as well because we usually do weekly or bi-weekly videos there, both in like a straight video upload or a edited down version of some of our battle reports. So you can see me play a couple of games, including my finals game of the Never Tell Me the Odds League with Anakin and General Obi-Wan Kenobi up against a very good player called Evil Houdini. There's a lot of ways to absorb our, our content. The easiest one is to to check out our description uh, below and, and go from there. Thanks very much, Tom, for joining me on this journey here today. Out of Jedi Knight Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader the Emperor. I'm going to answer right now. It's going to be Jedi Luke Skywalker. Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> it's <laughs> not even you, a debate. Who will you paint first? Will it be Luke simply because you're going to put him on the table first or Vader because he's pretty easy well let me give you a run through uh, i've undercoated the stormtroopers because the first strike team that i want to put on the table is actually going to be jedi uh, hunter darth vader and the stormtroopers and then luke's box so the way that i'm going through it is painting stormtroopers the stormtroopers sergeant and the stormtroopers and then luke's box as a, as a whole wow that's that is a bit surprising actually that's very cool i think i'm probably also going to put actually you know what I, now that you've said that i'm going to do emperor servant first Awesome. I'm, put, I'm putting him on the table first, I think. And let's put it up in the Shadowpoint Discord, the Slugs Discord. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, very exciting. All right. So just to close out the show here, uh, I wanted to quickly advertise some upcoming events. Uh, we here at the Space Slugs have actually put our hands up to run the main TTS Online League uh, that you've heard us mention over the last few episodes. Uh, and that's totally free to sign up for uh, and participate in. And it's just generally a really awesome experience and time. Uh, so this is actually going to kick off on the 4th of February at 10 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time and will basically feature weekly rounds. Now, if you do miss that initial sign up, have no fear because you're more than welcome to jump in at any point uh, and play a few games. 
but you'll need a minimum of four wins to make it into the elimination rounds that we will also be hosting. Um, but if you just want to jump in and have some games with local or international folks, yeah, have have a good time and, and sign on up. Uh, the Players Pack is up on the Slugs Discord and you can find all of the instructions required to participate in there. Additionally, if you're in Melbourne, head over to Warplings Game Club on the 10th of February for a single day showdown event hosted by Uraga. If you're in Brisbane on the 24th of February, head over to Irresistible Force for a single day showdown event and also a learn to play Shatterpoint event hosted by Kildare. So that's one to really look out for if you want to dip your toe into Shatterpoint. Uh, if you're in Sydney on the 25th of February, head over to the Combat Company for the monthly Shatterpoint showdown event hosted by Winter AU. I will be there so you can pop in and say hello as will Cameron. Uh, and the best way to stay up to date with all of these events is to join up uh, to the Shatterpoint Australia Discord. So all of the links that you'll need uh, to do that are in the episode's show notes. So thank you so much once again for listening and thank you to all of our brand new paid patrons, Soup, Alan Jones, Death1942, Bruno and Durlvar. Uh, if you'd like to directly support what we're doing here at the Space Logs, follow our link tree below and join up to our Patreon. The ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the Force.